This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit CanDoWealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Max Jeffrey, and I'm joined by James Forsyth and James Heal. So it's the last day of the Tory leadership campaign. James, how's it gone? Well, Max, I'm glad to see that we've managed to thoroughly uh, make it almost impossible to present this podcast by having two <laughs> people called James on it. Uh, no, but look, it, it's the, the last day. The two candidates have been kind of pushing you know, hard. I think there's a difference, which is... I mean, the Trust campaign just want to get through today about any slip-ups. The Sunak campaign has been far more energetic because obviously the, the polls have them significantly behind and, and, and they are still, for that reason, kind of scrapping it out there. I think we will then have a slightly odd weekend. I think the candidates will be doing some media stuff, but limited in what they can say. And then on Monday, we will obviously, at lunchtime, we'll get the result. But then again, remember, they don't actually become Prime Minister until the Tuesday, when Boris Johnson goes to Balmoral to resign, and then they go up to see the Queen and come back to London. So we won't actually be hearing from them as, as a country, as Prime Minister, until about tea time on the Tuesday. So this process, which feels like it's gone on for a very long time, you know, isn't done yet. And I think one of the challenges for whoever wins is the speed with which people will be expecting them to set out their plans. I think there's one of one of the things which is, you know, Liz Truss, for example, you know, talks about a kind of fiscal event now because she doesn't want to do a budget because that would get the OBR overly interested. Mm-hmm. She talks about doing that and the, the uh, before the, the parliament goes into recess for party conference season. In normal terms, that is very, very quick. But I think people are so worried about this crisis. And there has been so long without a government saying, well, this is what we're going to do. But I think almost from the moment that she is standing on the steps of Downing Street, there will be people saying, well, where, where's the answer? I want the precise details of how much of this, how much of that, you know, what, what, what is... What is the policy? And I think you also saw, interestingly, in David Frost's column in The Telegraph this morning, you know, some of the challenges from the right, which is so far what we've heard a lot in this contest is, you know, people, you know, after her no handouts interview in the Financial Times, I think we probably all agree that she has tried to recalibrate her position from there. But I think the challenge now for her is having kind of moved steadily that you've now got David Ross saying well you know if she does more handouts or more energy price caps we'll know that she's not the answer and I mean that is a little reminder but there are going to be and remember how important a backer David Frost has been to her but there are going to be people on the right saying well hang on a second we don't actually want more of these, these interventions we, we, we prefer a different approach you know, stick to your initial guns of trying to do all this through tax cuts so and I mean that is a reminder that, 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 that this that the, the, the tightrope that, that she is going to have to walk if she wins I think James you've hit the, pro- the fundamental problem which is that the economic problems lead on to the wider problem of party management and you've got a whole culture in the sort of 2019 intake where they're very jumpy very used to campaigning they, uh, normal parliamentary rules have been somewhat suspended and I think therefore the economic fortunes of the country are tied up with her political ones in that she's got to keep the right happy on a lot of these issues but also keep the backbenchers will be demanding a lot more handout and supports in the months to come. And James part of that will be the jobs that she gives to different MPs we've spoken on this podcast before that Liz Trust is spending half of her time preparing for government. Do we know what stage those preparations are at? 
I think that and James obviously correct me if I'm wrong. I think the number of the senior posts are, are sort of largely settled about who the sort of personalities will be be in those, and a lot of the backroom jobs as well in terms of the number ten staff. I think often there's some surprises in in who gets gets what when it actually comes to the day. But um, I think that that's been the real focus, partly because as James says, she, she's had a thirty point lead in the polls, and the wind has really gone out the sort of sells the campaign, and therefore the attention has been preparing for for government and looking ahead to getting through they've got through the contest can they get through to easter is the question i think they i think we are now at the stage where the big jobs are settled you have uh in the kind of what i think you call the middle ranking jobs i think there are some cabinet contenders who are indicating that they're not entirely happy with the suggested place for them and i mean there's i mean there's so i think you will have a bit of that kind of back and forth i think that they will want to be able to on tuesday to do it all so, so because, you know, on Wednesday she will have to face Keir Starmer in, in Prime Minister Gresham's House of Commons. I think they will want to be able to kind of rapidly do the Cabinet. I think one of the things that is made more difficult by the fact that you're going to Balmoral is the day is concertinaed. So you're back at four o'clock and then newspapers will start getting very antsy with you if they don't, aren't getting the details. You've got a kind of 10pm deadline if you want to get these appointments onto broadcast. And so that, there, is, there is a challenge there by the concertinering of, of the time scale. I think one of the other things, though, James talks about the economic challenge, and, and that, that is clearly right. But I think one of the other things is how linked together these challenges are. So high energy prices, one of the things that is going to lead to is people not turning the heating on in their home. I think that is going to, uh, or turning it down, that is undoubtedly going to lead to greater pressure on the NHS. You're going to have, you know, more elderly people turning up with hyperthermia or with chest infections that they can't shake. And so that is it. And then the other challenge is how much of this is already done? Liz Truss enters Parliament, enters Downing Street on, if Liz Truss enters Downing Street on Tuesday, how much can she and her new health secretary hope to actually achieve to actually materially change what will happen in the NHS this winter? And I mean, I mean this is one of the other really big challenges facing the new prime minister which is you know they, it, 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 it isn't just the cost of living crisis which would be bad enough as it is it is the cost of living crisis plus the other crises that are looming into view and james who are away from the tory leadership race boris johnson has released some legal advice he got about the number 10 parties inquiry um what's behind that well, the thinking is it's about the Privileges Committee investigation into Parliament and whether he deliberately misled Parliament with his statements on, on Partygate uh, late last year. And this is an attempt. Uh, David Panic, of course, very respected barrister, but also famously involved in the, the Gina Miller case um, previously. Um, this is an attempt to try to get his position out there and suggest that actually there are no grounds for this investigation that's going on about whether he deliberately or not uh, misled Parliament. And so it's been this current stay on the question, of course, being is, you know, why is the Cabinet Office mm. necessarily funding that? advice but there's a clear attempt to try and get his statement out there his position out there to the public uh, in order to try and prevent him being found guilty by the by the privileges committee which could of course eventually force him to resign and do you think this is a question of boris johnson's legacy or there's been stories today that he might want to run again try and become prime minister again at some point in the future is it something to do with that well, I think, you know, with Boris, you can never count him out, you know, and I think it's not hard to see in sort of six months' time the old myth-making taking effect. Liz Truss may be in troubles, Boris there making his speeches, you know, maybe lose a bit of weight and as he did before and come back as sort of fit-fighting. Um, so it's partly that. I mean, Got some hair in the barn. Yeah, exactly, is a great line. Um, and so I, I don't think it's hard to, to... And of course, he likes to see himself as Churchill, and Churchill spent a good number of years in the wilderness and, you know, was called back and because he became prime minister for a second time as well after the war. Um, I think that, uh, you know, it's... 
it's partly I think his critics obviously want to find any way to sort of beat him down, but also I think a number of people will, will privately feel that he ha- he did mislead Parliament. And-, and James Forsyth, in a blog today for Coffeehouse, you wondered whether this was the best way for Boris Johnson to go about it. What the, do you the, think? They, 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 Boris Johnson and his partisans have waged a very kind of a Bernard Jenkins member of the committee called it a terrorist campaign against this committee. Now I mean that might be that might be a, it might be a bit of hyperbole, but <laughs> I, I think there, there is there is a, there is a I, I question whether going after a committee as aggressively as this is the wisest strategy. I also think there is a, an obvious question that the, the, the little panic advice doesn't answer, which is where, you know, which is ministers inadvertently misleading the House. Obviously, that cannot be a resigning offence because what if someone gets millions or billions confused? You know, they obviously shouldn't resign over that. But the expectation is that they correct the record at the earliest possible moment. I mean, the question which is unanswered in the Lord panic advice is, you know, did Boris Johnson correct the record at the first possible moment if, if it was inadvertent? I also think that there is, for his successor and Liz Truss, Liz Truss has said that she would vote to stop it, but there isn't going to be a vote. I think I'm right in saying I think for his successor, there is, a, there is a real risk in this because, yes, there are allies of Boris Johnson who feel that this is very unfair, that the bar has been lowered and all this. But A, Parliament did vote for this. And secondly, to intervene in it, I think, could risk being Owen Patterson on steroids for the Tories. If they tried to kind of stop this from happening, I think it could be. And I don't, and I think it just could really not sit well with the public if that and and also Tory MPs I think you would have a if you tried to do this yes you would please the kind of Boris Johnson lawyers but I mean there would also be a group of Tory MPs who just simply would not walk through the division lobbies to try and do this of course he's no longer Prime Minister so it's very different when you know you had sort of a year ago or six months ago and people still going because he was the leader you know and now he's going to be much he's just about bencher it's, it's a very different we're a definitely different world from where people would go out and put their bodies on the line just to defend their existing leader James Hill also today, a report was released saying that Dame Cresta Dick felt intimidated into stepping down as the Met Police Commissioner after an ultimatum from Sadiq Khan. I think this hinges on a unminuted meeting between the two of them earlier this year. What's going on here, James? Well, I mean, effectively, this is the fallout about whether due procedure was followed in Cresta Dick's resignation. And this is, of course, the question where law comes into contact with politics again now the reality there, there was one bit in the report which said that at the meeting of i think january the 19th at a call between a, a meeting between patel dick and khan Sadiq khan said that he never had such confidence in the metropolitan police before three weeks later she was out and of course what changed that time well there were more revelations about some of the whatsapp messages that were being sent around between serving police officers existing pressure over the the, the terrible handling of the sarah Everard case and the political world changed and so although she he, i think the, this, this report by a former police officer himself, Sir Tom Windsor, you know, is an attempt to try and say, oh, well, Sadiq Khan didn't follow the rules properly. I think most p- politicians and political observers will look at this and think, well, you know, her position was untenable. She'd had a number of scandals on her watch. And so I'm not sure how much cut through this report will have. As, uh, it's worth pointing out, of course, Khan's come out and angrily attacked it and said it's all, you know, uh, basically a work of fiction, really, and, and should just be very biased reports seen in that light. So I'm not sure how much it'll sort of move the dial. At the Tory hustings in London, there are always questions about removing policing from the mayor. And I mean, there is a problem with this dual mandate to both the Home Secretary and the Mayor of London. But I mean, this report makes me think that it should just be... Take the, the diplomatic protection stuff out of the Met and it should be the Met should be responsible to the Mayor of London because I personally think it would be much clearer and more accountable if Sadiq Khan had the right to hire and fire the Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police or the Mayor in general because what that would mean is that, you know, they could 
far someone who they thought was underperforming as Sadiq Khan clearly thought Cressida Dick was not gripping the problem that he thought the Met, the Met had but then the public would be able to judge them by whether the successor they had appointed was being more successful in reducing crime I think at the moment we are in this worst of all worlds where this report makes clear that Pretty Patel who's Cressida Dick's other boss didn't know that Sadiq Khan was going to do this now before everyone any Tory gets on their high horse it should be pointed out that Boris Johnson did exactly the same when he was Mayor of London to, to force <laughs> out a commission and I think, I think this shows you that this institutional te- oh, this tension in the setup between the Mayor of London and the Home Office about who the Met Commissioner is accountable to and who appoints them you know it is a recipe for no one taking responsibility. And it would just be much better to have a, a simple system where the Mayor of London appoints the head of the Metropolitan Police, can hire and fire, and then they could be judged by, their, by the success or failure of their hire. And an exasperating factor of that is the tendency for Labour to, uh, London to elect Labour mayors and the country to have Tory Home Secretaries or vice versa. So we had obviously Sir Ian Blair, the incident where you mentioned just before with Boris, it was under a Labour government and he was Mayor of London um, and now we've seen the reverse. And so it gets into a party political uh, bun fight which is not really helping anyone. And I just add, I think, was it four out of the five last Met Police Commissioners have had their term ended early? Yeah. Uh, it's just becoming a pattern rather than a glitch and as James says if no one seems really to sort of grasp the nettle and actually just make a clean break and have it under Sadiq Khan's responsibility. I think just also one one, one final thought um, when we chuck out there was we talked a lot over the summer about the crisis facing the, the new Prime Minister, you know, the energy crisis, the cost of living crisis, the NHS, the war in the Russia's invasion of Ukraine. One thing we haven't talked about, which I think actually is an issue that, that could bubble up massively in the coming months, is crime. I mean, there is a growing... You look at the number of police forces in special measures, as the Metropolitan Police Force is, and a growing public sense that there is a kind of low-level lawlessness that is not being dealt with. That is a basic hygiene issue for, for a Conservative government. And I think, that, I think that, you know, of all the issues that we've talked about that could cause problems for, for the new Prime Minister, I think that we, we, we probably have, so let's do this, but half an hour to go before the voting closes, so we'll just quickly get it in there. You know, I think we probably haven't talked enough or, and, the, and the contest probably hasn't talked enough about crime and that because you know that sense that you know that you know that 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 this is not uh, that places are not safe and I think you know uh, I, I don't mean to sound like a kind of sociology professor but you know but if you consider the economic stuff coming down the track you know you could consider there could well be circumstances in which crime gets worse and that you end up with in some ways this actually becomes a much bigger issue than we've been expecting politically. I would just say around this time, the last, uh, of course, last Tory government, uh, around 1994, there was the James Bolger case and that had real cuts through with the public. Uh, there is a danger that after 12 years of government and uh, this issue is not being... Uh, properly resolved, people will just say some of these crimes have been effectively decriminalised. You look at um, theft in London, the Met are unlikely to investigate that. A number of cases, obviously the tragic murder in in Liverpool. I think there is a real potency, as James says, and potential for it to become an issue where Labour can again attack the Tories. Thank you, James. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed Coffeehouse Shots, then why not get a ticket to see Coffeehouse Shots live on the 13th of September? We'll be looking at Britain after Boris. We'll be hosted by Andrew Neil. Fraser will be there, James, Katie and Kate. You can buy tickets online at spectator.co.uk forward slash after Boris.